welcome to the Less Matters podcast. This is a podcast not just for those people interested in large-scale Scrum, oh no. This is a podcast for anybody who wants to know how to make single or multi-team agile work in any product-led or project-driven organisation. I'm Ben Maynard. And with over a decade of experience leading Agile in organisations both huge and small, I am uniquely placed to interview some of the best and brightest minds on topics that will help you be the best Agile practitioner you could possibly hope to be. In this, the last of three episodes learning more about the inner workings of Pandadog, we find Yevgeny Lebunsky busy with work, leaving Dennis Sarakov and I seizing the opportunity to discuss the role of Head of Agile Practices in supporting multiple teams, Scrum Masters and product professionals at Pandadoc. The interesting thing about this, they all work in the same customer-centric realm of their product. The best way to make this podcast more enjoyable for everyone is for me to get your feedback. So leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or say something nice about us on social media. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome. We are here for part three of three. Uh, and this time, just joined by Dennis Saunikov. Evgeny uh, can't make us for this episode. Hello, Dennis. Hi, Ben. Welcome back. It's been such a long time since we last spoke. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, oh, I know, I, I missed you too. <laughs> I'm sure that the illusion that we record these on separate days is... Uh, let's try and maintain that. Now, an area... An area, how, how apt, an area which I am particularly interested in because as I might have mentioned before, there is very little really documented or articulated around this within the Less community is mm-hmm. around how in Less Huge do we create requirement areas? Like what is the rationale? How do we choose how to group things together? And then also from the perspective of, say, a scrum master or an agile coach or someone who's overseeing coaches, like what... What is unique, I suppose, to working in an area versus to kind of working in, you know, just with a few teams? So, Dennis, if we can start with perhaps some of the interesting stories or trials that you've had in trying to get your requirement areas created and and working well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there are quite some stories around the requirement areas and how they how they're working out in uh, Pandadog. So we are, first of all, it's important to mention that our areas are not static by nature. So we come back to redesigning them every now and then. Usually we do it like once in a year, but sometimes it can happen more often. We, we, we just had another director's offsite only one month ago where uh, people basically came up with a strategy for the next year for the company and also for the potential new structure for the company. So there will be yet another change somewhere in December or January. And I think one of the reasons for that is that we are still trying to find out the proper way to approach that question because there is no single right answer. There is definitely a wrong answer, which would be to <laughs> organize areas around components of your architecture or something like that. This is like something that was out from the table since the very beginning. When the initial requirement areas were created in winter 2021, I think the key reason for that was the fact that we had already about 12 or 14 teams. And for the product owner to keep everything in mind, it was actually impossible. So mm-hmm. there was a list of work to do, or like product backlog, which they need to take care of. 
it was partially, of course, delegated to teams to take care of it and to maintain it and to fill it in and to refine it, etc. But there was still quite a big cognitive load for the product owner. And uh, what we decided back then is to um, introduce areas. And the first big question which came up was like how to organize them. So what what are the topics that those areas should be organized around? <laughs> there were multiple uh, approaches considered, but I think we ended up back then with organizing around so-called ideal customer profile. So we have different types of customers using our product and we have like our own understanding of ideal customer profile. I usually simplify it calling it like user persona or something like that. And each ideal customer profile in our product management has a set of product metrics attached to them. So set of product metrics that are directly affected by those customers and usually only by those customers. So, so what we did initially, we organized requirement areas around those customer profiles. We ended up with four different requirement areas. And yeah, then we did the self-design around it. So we had defined who would be an area product owner for each area. They came up with some strategy for and vision for that area. We've had a, a big event where that was pitched to everyone in the organization and there were some limitations in regards to number of teams we want to have in each area and uh, who will be the so-called area leadership group. Mm-hmm. And then we did the self-design, which was already in full remote setup. Since then, this setup of areas have changed three or four times already. So that next change will happen in January. The previous one happened in December last year. And all of them were about uh, like recreating our organization in a way that uh, enables us to better suit uh, to better deliver the customer value. Hey Dennis, thank you for that. I'm interested in something you said around area leadership group. Yeah. Uh, who who is in an area leadership group? Well, so it, at Pandadoc, this is a group of people being the so-called director of product for that area. Oh, like area product owner in in less terms. Okay, yeah. Also director of engineering, so the person responsible for the uh, PNL of the area in terms of hiring, like promotions, like how many people we have in terms of development and in terms of also aligning our area's uh, technical strategy with the company strategy. And this is basically the minimum viable size of the of this group. In some areas, it can be difficult. It can be different. So in some areas, we also have like head of design for for the area. So the person who is taking care of ensuring consistency of the user interfaces we develop and uh, deliver there. And of course, if the uh, area is big enough, somebody considered to be like a more mature Scrum master is part of that group as well. Okay. And is there any organizational structural relationship between those people in that group? Uh, No, they're all peers on the same level. But if the area is big enough, they might have some people in the structure below them being like engineering managers or product managers. Ah, And this is is where the most interesting part starts. Okay, why? Why is this the most interesting part? Yeah, because as we described in the, I think, first episode together with Yevgeny, 
over time you tend to have people who are joining the company and do, do not know that historical background of their current way of working and why it's the company is organized like that. And they tend to start introducing or bringing with them some um, approaches or views they've experienced in their pre previous companies. And so what we were heavily trying to avoid over, you know, over the whole this year is areas treating teams as their teams mm. and trying to locally optimize the workload and come up with some uh, workload of not that high value if they just need to make those teams busy. Fascinating. I've always hypothesized around this. I've seen it in like small instances, but I've always uh, been curious as to has anyone else seen this that where people try and maintain the importance importance in like speak in inverted commas of their area yeah. because they want to maintain their maintain what they know their little like not kingdom's a terrible word for it but you know what i mean like try and maintain the status quo by inflating yeah. the importance of their work and this is something which you've experienced them Yeah, this is something that we've experienced. Luckily, like on the level of the whole organization, we know what we want and we know what is like the goal we are trying to optimize ourselves mm -hmm. for, which is uh, like adaptiveness and the ability to respond to changes on the market and in our strategy with with low like switching cost and transactional cost. So therefore, like when we observe such behavior and we point it out, there is no issue with getting it addressed. And usually we ju just do it by also educating those people in those roles about like, what's our, what's our way of working? Why are we organized that way? And what's the system dynamics they are creating by such decisions and uh, how, and then we just point out the question to them, like, do you feel this is something matching our optimizational goal or no? Mm -hmm. Well, it's great that you can deal with it head on. It doesn't feel like there's any, and is there tension in some of these conversations or is everyone very much saying, well, this is, we understand the purpose of the company, why we're doing it. So let's, uh, let's just, just make the change. Well, there, there may be, but I think it's usually only the first reaction, which comes as a like, uh, consequence of thinking fast when, when you, when you like help people to take time to think slow. They usually get it over time. And also, Evgeny mentioned that we are now heavily investing into like, let's call it re-educating people or educating people again. So part of it is also, once again, giving internal classes on systems thinking and organizational design and less and less huge. Uh, also, we finally started sending some of our leaders to external classes on the same topics so so that they could uh grasp some ideas which are not rusty with our internal context so i think this was one of the reasons we decided to make this new route mm. of education if there was a single tip that you could pass on to people who were in a less huge environment and they're looking to create their first ever requirement areas what would be the top tip you provide to them I mean, I don't think I can come up with something completely new. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Because, because many things that are written in the books, they're written there for a reason. 
You know, I, I always like to recall that back when I was studying to drive the car and to get my driver license, my instructor was telling me that I need to obey the rules because those rules are written in blood, yeah. which is true for like every, everything that yes. can happen on the roads. It's not like that in, in the organizations, but still, what I personally observed uh, uh, firsthand is that creating a requirement area too small, like of one or two teams, is not the good mm-hmm. strategy. Because especially, especially if you have an organization which uh, tries to link the requirement area to some kind of organizational structure, in our case, it's area leadership group, you already hire those people or like move those people there, you give them those tasks, you give them that vision which they believe in. And then when you, after like one quarter or two quarters, understand that this is not something viable and you need to shut down that stuff and uh, like move teams to some different requirement area, you create an additional headache for yourself, which you will now need to solve. So yeah, don't create small requirement areas and don't attach organizational structures to requirement areas. This would be my single tip. So then with the organizational structure, you just keep that in Pandadoc's example, you've kept engineers reporting up into an engineering manager who then reports up into a more serious person in the engineering world and then you have a separate yeah another part of the organization around product yeah exactly but i think i think this is this isn't where at least as of now we don't see that as the biggest problem the bigger problem is that in some cases we try to optimize the organizational decisions for the sake of manager's comfort and this is definitely what we want to avoid because like right now there is a clear understanding that there is a for example engineering director he has the certain set of uh, engineering managers reporting to them and those engineering managers serve as direct managers for a certain mm-hmm. developers and teams but like if we start discussing the option of moving one or two teams to another area it's it raises all that shit storm around they will have to main to change their direct managers there yeah. will be a lot of headache for people etc so one of the options we are currently considering is to like attach engineering managers to teams and make them like managers of those teams indefinitely from yeah. what requirement area those teams are working That was in. always my preferred approach I, I, I kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, as an ex-manager, I liked working with having a team, or just a couple of teams that were like mine to like look after and getting to know them and getting to some of the dynamics and yeah. moving around with them. I oh, quite, but I'm a sentimental old sod. You know, I, 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 I like getting to know people and hang around people that I know. So. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. Now, if you could, Dennis, could you remind everybody of your job title, your role? <sighs> Head of Agile Practices. Head of Agile Practices. So as Head of Agile Practices, what is your day-to-day involvement, let's say, with uh, from a requirement area perspective? I mean, so the first thing to mention is that, hmm, I know, introducing that title at a certain point was also probably a consequence of thinking fast. Okay. Because we always aimed at uh, keeping the structure of our Scrum Masters community flat. And we already have some things where it backfires by people like asking, like, what should I do to become a head of agile practices? Mm-hmm. Like, are we going to have some open positions for head of agile practices, etc.? Uh, 
how we present it internally is that the only difference between head of agile practices and scrum master is that head of agile practices also serves as a direct manager for several scrum masters. Ah, okay. So I do, I do still work with multiple teams as a scrum master, but since the teams are quite mature already and they can do on their own quite, uh, in most of cases, I also serve as a like people manager for several scrum masters overseeing their professional development. So like holding one-on-ones with them, uh, in some cases where it's needed, also jumping into the requirement area they work in and helping them to resolve some like systemic issue or issue on the track leadership level. But this is not something that occurs too often. It's more about people management. It's refreshing to hear that you've maintained an element of scrum mastery as part of your role. I don't think that happens all the time. It's kind of you're elevated to be a people manager, but then they stop you from doing the thing that you were good at, you really enjoyed. So it's refreshing to find you're doing both. Yeah, I, I think this was our original intention since the very beginning with Evgeny, because both him and I, despite being for a long time in the industry, we both actually enjoy working with developers mm. and by getting involved in all those activities that teams have, not only Scrum events, but also all, all other stuff. And What's even more important, we both experienced the situations. I, as a person who worked in, as a lead agile coach in the enterprise environment and Evgeny as an organizational consultant, we both experienced situations when you just start to f- fall into the same trap as managers. You become so detached from the objective reality which is going on in the organization and you start coming up with some crappy decisions <laughs> or solutions based on that detachment so yeah. we 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 prefer to invest into keeping our intellectual humility high and our intellectual <laughs> arrogance low <laughs> intellectual humility and arrogance these are not things that i've heard of before uh these terms which you've just come up with or the <laughs> did you find them no, somewhere no no this is something i heard from mr great larvan ah, just okay ago. okay intellectual humility that's interesting I will unpack that one and have, have a good old think about it. I know where you're coming from. Um, okay, Dennis, I think uh, I, you know, to try and keep these episodes focused, and I know that I've also, I've kept you for a little bit longer than I said I was going to, so I don't want to infringe on it's your fine. day anymore. But it's just been, I mean, what, I, what I've really enjoyed and my big takeaways from this conversation are yeah, the area leadership group. I think that, Sometimes in the in the agile community, and particularly the less community, it's too easy just to kind of see these things as you don't have the types of roles that you've articulated looking after, say, a certain area and having the leadership mm-hmm. group. So I think that the fact that you've got it and that you're being successful in your application of, of less and being successful as a company, I think, is wonderful. And the fact you know that you are a manager of uh, other Scrum Masters, a people manager, and you're still doing Scrum Mastery. Yeah, which I think is uh, being a great role model, I'm guessing, then, for the other Scrum Masters, which is a brilliant thing. Now, before we end the episode... That, that, no, I just wanted to say that that, of course, puts more responsibilities on you and requires a completely new set of skills that you need to develop to be a good people manager, but it pays off after time. How did you develop those skills? I don't know. I just had this need... And I understood that I need to do this. And I started 
learning by doing, but also trying to look for some materials which can be helpful. I unfortunately didn't have any anyone to mentor me on people management. This is something that I believe not only I myself, but many people at Pandadoc would benefit from. But yeah, we have what we have. So I was just relying on expertise of the wise crowd and also on some empirical experience I've managed to gain here. Does that mean that you are now a mentor yourself, Dennis, in this domain? In people management? No. No. (laughs) Not yet. I I don't know. As I said, I, I still very fond of working with teams and doing great stuff together with teams. So of course, like uh, people management is usually, usually means that you are somewhere higher in the organizational hierarchy, but at the same time, I don't want to sacrifice doing things that I like for the sake of things that just get paid more for. Do you know what? That's a lovely way to end it, I think. That's a message that so many people can take on and and live their lives by. Uh, Dennis, thank you very much, mate, for your time. I've really appreciated it. And I've loved I've loved learning some more about what you uh, and Evgeny have been doing at PandaDoc. It sounds like a, a brilliant journey so far. And at some point, I'd love to get you back on you know, to hear about what happens in the next 12 yeah. months. Yeah, I think both of us will be happy to come back. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, Dennis, have a brilliant rest of your day. Uh, everyone, thank you very much for listening and we will, uh, you'll hear from us again soon. Thank you. Oh, Dennis, that was pretty awesome. I feel like I've really learned something new about how less huge can work in practice. Now, I'm going to leave some time now for you to go off and leave a review. But the reviews are important to me, to us, and it helps me continue to make this podcast. So I'm going to leave a little bit of time for you to go and do that or you can come back and listen to the episode review. I can't believe he's asking for a review again. Maybe I'll just leave one. Shut up. Right, sorry. Oh, right. The Less Matters podcast is the best podcast for anybody interested in product and agility. There are some awesome guests and the host is sometimes a little bit annoying, but he's generally a pretty good sort and knows how to have an interesting conversation. Great, I'll click submit. With the review left, thank you very much. Let me give you a little bit of a recap about what we spoke about in this episode. This really focused heavily on what we call requirement areas and less huge. These are customer-centric collections of requirements that make an area product backlog. More information on this can be found at the Let's.Works website. Now, these areas are not dynamic and shouldn't, in the Pandadox experience, have an organisational structure tied to them. Now at Pandadox, the directors get together every now and again to decide how these new requirement areas will be formulated for the upcoming months and years. Now, when it comes to defining those areas, there's definitely a wrong answer. Technical components are architectural components, but it's difficult to say if there's a right answer because things change. Now, Pandadox started this journey for Less Huge in the winter of 2021 when they had 12 to 14 teams, and it was just too much for one product owner to keep it all in their head, even with delegation to the teams. They decided to make their requirement areas based upon customer profiles, and for this reason, there's specific customer product metrics for each of them. We also looked at the role of head of agile practices and how this is a scrum master, but with extra responsibility. So we have Dennis, 
and Yevgeny both looking after teams and also supporting other scrum masters and product professionals. We touched on things around area leadership, organisational structures, who reports into who. We also discovered that there's a bit of a pitfall when product people or maybe even teams feel like they belong to a requirement area, area product backlog. And so what can we do to make sure that this doesn't happen? Thank you very much for hanging around to the end. I hope you've had a nice jog, walk or lounge around in your house somewhere. In our next episode, we have Teodora Bozova joining us to talk about the Kanban maturity model and all things Kanban. We've got three conversations with her and they're all pretty awesome. So we look forward to welcoming you back then. 